So, if you've been attending this series or following along, you'll know that there's a prayer that we've been praying as a way of kind of engaging our faith before we start. So perhaps if we could flip that one up on the screen, that would be great. Do you want to stand? Let's stand. Go on then. Good man. Not just me. Good stuff. Yes, I have had a haircut. Yes, I have. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, your word is alive and active, quick and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is truth and life, health and strength, undeniable and unbreakable, eternal and unchangeable. I boldly declare I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Holy Spirit, you are my teacher and my guide. I declare that my mind is alert and my heart is receptive to what you want to say to me today. Renew my mind, my thoughts, and attitudes. Make me more and more like Jesus, my Lord. Father, let faith, hope, and love arise in my heart as I hear your word. And as a result, may I leave this place today feeling stronger, bolder, and freer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a great prayer. Don't you love that prayer? Well, I do. Okay, so I'm going to dive straight in. We're in the, the final part of our series here. Shouldn't need too much of a setup, I, I think. As we have discussed, that there are numerous things that the enemy has, has attempted to steal from us. Yes, my friend? You right? Yeah? Good man. There are numerous things the enemy's been attempting to steal from us over the course of this pandemic. And sadly, at least as I've observed, he seems to have had some success. He's been chipping away and undermining. He's been isolating. He's been stirring up fear and generally up to no good. Fortunately, however, we are not ignorant of the enemy's schemes. And you know what? We are bouncing back. It is time to reclaim the ground that the pandemic thief has stolen. Uh, the title of today's message is, Who Now Can I Trust? Who Now Can I Trust? And I think there's, there's, there's a sense that people feel that through this whole COVID lockdown pandemic experience, they feel that they've been let down. You know, at, at, at our time of, of greatest need, facing these unexpected and unprecedented and frankly complex challenges, we looked to the people around us for support and for encouragement, for answers, and we felt that they let us down. You know, some felt let down by people that they counted as their friends. Some were, or at least felt, ignored by their, their neighbors, shut away in their own castles. Many people felt cast adrift at work. They felt that the government made it unnecessarily hard for them, made optimistic promises, and then broke them. I think people felt that the media betrayed them. 
with that constant negativity and fear and mongering. Remember that? And I know that some people felt that church, in one way or another, let them down. So if you, if you felt like that, if you felt like any of that, you were not alone. Be honest, everyone faced similar challenges. And without doubt, not that we should be in the least bit surprised, the enemy jumped all over that and had an absolute field day. Why? Because as we've already, already said, he is a ruthless and shameless and heartless exploiter of crisis. And this was indeed a crisis. So for a few minutes, let, let's dig a little deeper into the enemy's game. What, what's he been up to here? What's he, what's he after? What's he stealing? What is he attempting to break? And I'm going to propose that there are three agendas in particular that he has been pushing over the last 20 months. And they are number one. The first one is undermining and breaking relationships. Number two is sowing seeds of offense and unforgiveness. And the number three is stirring rebellion against authority. I think it's fair to say he's always up to that stuff, but this has been a great opportunity for really to push hard into those three agendas that I'm going to unfold just for the next few minutes. Number one, what's the enemy been up to? He's been undermining and breaking relationships. You know, we're relational beings. We were created for connection. Christianity is a team sport. Isolated is vulnerable. You know, we know all this, but that doesn't stop the enemy meddling, and he's at it constantly. You see, the enemy knows the power of agreement in marriage. Powerful. So he's after that. The enemy knows the power of unity in the church. So powerful. So he's gunning for that. The enemy knows that, that if iron stops sharpening iron, Christians become blunt. So he's after that. But we are not unaware of his schemes. We know his game, undermining and provoking and ultimately shattering vital relationships. So I think the answer here, and I haven't got time to delve into these in too much detail, the answer is to identify the relationships that are important to you. And then do three things, invest in them heavily. Number two, guard them ferociously. And then number three, value them tremendously. And that starts with your marriage. And I'd say if the enemy through this period has undermined or broken any of the relationships that are important to you, go fix them. 
Just don't play into the enemy's hands. Which leads on to number two. Number two, the enemy has been busy sowing seeds of, of, sorry, seeds of offense and unforgiveness. Do you know what? This is the pandemic thief's specialty. He is so good at this, and sadly, we are quite good at it too. You know, I was thinking about offense and how it works and the origins of it. Do you know, sometimes offense comes because there's been genuine sin aimed in your direction. And that is the seed of offense. Sometimes offense comes from expectations unmet. Sometimes those expectations are realistic. Sometimes they're unrealistic. And then thirdly, sometimes offense comes when you've guessed, when you've jumped to conclusions. You've actually got it wrong. With that in mind, back into our lockdown context, if you have taken offense for any reason, if you feel that people have let you down, the first thing to say is, yes, that they might well have done so. But it's also possible that you may have jumped to conclusions or set unrealistic expectations or frankly just don't know all the facts. You don't know why they didn't call you. You don't know what silent pain or anxiety or family crisis that they were going through. As the saying goes, you probably hadn't walked a mile in their shoes. And the miles that we walked through that period were difficult miles. You know, perhaps they were sitting on the other end of the phone line waiting for you to call them. The reality is nobody got all this right. I know I didn't. We, we as a church didn't for sure. How could we? It was an impossible situation. We weren't even allowed out of our homes for months on end. You know, in, in hindsight, if we knew now, what, if we knew then what we know now, would we, as a church, have done a few things differently? The answer is quite probably but I can assure you that, that what we did, we did prayerfully and we did diligently and we did with the very best intentions. And I say to anyone listening, if we got it wrong, I just want to humbly apologize, ask you for grace. But you see, here's the danger. The danger is that the defense sneaks in. The defense settles in and offense starts to take root. You might have heard this line before. If you allow a seed of offense to take root in the soil of insecurity, that produces a root of bitterness leading to the fruit of resentment. I'm going to say that again. A, because it's important. And B, because I know there's lots of blanks in your sheet to fill in. 
If you allow the seed of offense to take root in an insecure soil, it produces a root of bitterness or rejection, leading to the fruit of resentment. And trust me, that is always sour and poisonous fruit that leaves a trail of destruction. Starts as a seed. Starts a little seed that you allow in, that you choose to accept. It grows in time into a bitter root which operates like a barb in your heart which keeps tugging and twisting and manipulating you. You know, there is no doubt that this is where the enemy does some of his darkest and most effective work. And so it's no surprise that, that he and his legion of little pandemic pickpockets, it's no wonder that they set to work doing just that stuff during COVID. I want to just quickly run through three scriptures on this one. The first one is 2 Corinthians 2 verse 10. It says, if there was anything to forgive, this is Paul speaking, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. You know, normally when we use that verse, we pull out one of two uh, phrases, I think. We use this, this line that we're not unaware of his schemes. Or, or we might say that the that we, we don't want him to outwit us. But I want you to note that this, this whole little section here is written in the context of forgiveness and unforgiveness. Now, actually, there, there's an incident, an incident hanging over them here from actually from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and there was a real, live, significant sin relational issue that they had to deal with. And yet here we are some time later, the next letter on, and Paul says, if there was anything to forgive, I, I've now forgiven. I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us because we are not unaware of his schemes. And what he's saying here, here is, you know you need to forgive. You know, after all, Jesus taught us to forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven times. Jesus told numerous parables about, about masters forgiving their servants' debt, and then Jesus did exactly that, hanging on the cross. Now, this is crucial, folks, because undischarged offense is poison. Unforgiveness is a prison. And if you, let, if you let a lingering offense start to dominate your thought life, it can become a defining stronghold. A stronghold which can tie you in knots and be extremely hard, not impossible, but extremely hard to break. You know, folks, don't let the enemy outwit you. I have a picture of a little pandemic pickpocket thief sitting on your shoulder saying, oh, that offense, that offense is just too great. You know, I know we're supposed to forgive, but surely that doesn't count in this case. 
oh, no, that was just so offensive. You, you just can't let them off the hook for that. To which I say, those are lies, folks. Just don't fall for them. And here's why. My second verse, Proverbs 4.23, we quote this one often, says, above all else, say above all else. Thank you. Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You know, you just cannot afford to let that kind of stuff in. It's poison. It wreaks havoc. It pollutes your well. You must guard your heart. The way you do that is by forgiving quickly and frequently. It's by placing a, a grace guard over your thoughts and actions. And you do it by choosing to walk in love every chance you get. Third, third little verse, Hebrews 12 Verse 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. That's a strong statement. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This places this a pretty high bar. It's significant. And then verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That's what that bitter root, that barb does causes trouble and defiles many. But you know, I thank God for his grace. How badly we all need grace. You know, fortunately, we serve a good God. and His grace is in lavish supply. We just need to learn to yield to grace every time. The pandemic pickpocket thief parrot is sitting on your shoulder, spurting all sorts of lies, trying to tug you away from love and from truth. We have to learn to guard our hearts and we have to learn to yield to that abundant and amazing grace every single chance we get. And that's why one of the, the six kingdom culture values that we have here at the barn is always full of grace. Number three, number three, rattling on here. Number three is stirring rebellion against authority. So the third and final agenda, this is that the enemy has been, been pushing through the pandemic. I just quickly summarize what, what the Bible has to say about authority in 30 seconds. Number one, authority is to be respected and the word is honored because it is given by God. Number two, and if we had time, we could quote scriptures here for this. Lines of authority have been put there by God. And they've been put there for your safety and for your protection. And then thirdly, authority is not an easy load to carry. So we have an explicit call to pray for authority holders first and foremost. Here's a shock revelation. Prepare to be stunned, folks. Those in positions of authority won't always get it right. <sighs> My word, so sorry to burst your bubble. 
You know, as, I, as I've said repeatedly, and this line has got me through this pandemic, there is no such thing as a perfect solution for an impossible problem. And if you looked at your leaders asking for them to provide you with a perfect solution to an impossible problem, you are being grossly unfair because it's impossible. And the word impossible means impossible. COVID was an impossible problem. You know, those in leadership positions, I'm thinking particularly of our politicians here, poor old Boris, I back up again yesterday. Those in leadership positions had never experienced anything like it before. You know, they had no idea where it was headed or how long it would last. I had great entertainment listening to a preach from last July, July 2020. And this was a man of God whose name you'd recognize. And he was saying, thank God we're coming out of this thing now finally. Where it's won its last legs. We're about July 2020. We're still in it now. Another variant. Those in positions of responsibility had no idea who would be affected by this and how. I remember having conversations right at the start with people like Rowan, treasurer at the time, saying, we don't know who this is going to affect how is it going to affect them? Where is it going to affect people? Are they going to lose their jobs? Are they not going to be able to get out and get their food? Are they not going to be able to afford food? We just didn't know. You had to watch and see. You know, the politicians, they didn't know when we'd get drugs or vaccines or indeed even if we ever would. You know, what we all needed during the pandemic was grace. What we needed was grace. What we got instead was outrage. What we got instead was media hyperbole. We got constant fear-mongering. And we got political point-scoring. And it was not pretty. Here's my point. The enemy was always going to use COVID to stir rebellion against authority. You know, thinking about this, this is a primary personal motivation for Lucifer. You see, in his case, God is the authority and he is rebelling. Everything he's doing is trying to turn God's things upside down. Please, guys, don't get suckered into that. It is very Dangerous ground. I'd say this. If you have a bad attitude to authority in general, I would strongly urge you to take that to the Lord. Okay, that's what the enemy's been up to. What about us? What should we be up to? What about our agenda as Christians? But it's not difficult. I would suggest it's just the complete opposite. So number one, rather than undermining and breaking relationships, we should be doing all we can to bring people together. We should be tireless reconcilers. Rather than giving place to offense and unforgiveness, we should be habitual forgivers, always full of grace. Rather than rebelling against authority, we should be leading the way in displaying honor and we should be their most staunch and diligent prayer support. 
1 Timothy 2. Here's a surprising thought that, that I'm pretty sure that the Lord dropped into my heart this week as I was out walking the dogs. Remember the message title. The message title is, Who Now Can I Trust? And this is the thought that dropped into my spirit and I started playing with, and it's this. Actually, Jesus doesn't tell us to trust them. He tells us to love them. Now, I don't wish to belittle trust. Trust is fundamental to healthy relationships. We know that. But our Christian call is to love, just like Jesus. You know, loving is his command. Loving is our, our gospel obligation. So what loving should be our passionate pursuit. Three quick verses there. John 13, 34, 35, familiar verse. So I, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, Jesus said, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Command to love one another. The second one, our gospel obligation, Romans 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. And then thirdly, the pursuit of love. It should be a passion for us. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue, little list of things, pursue love and pursue peace. Jesus doesn't tell us to trust them so much as he tells us to love them. Whether that's our friends or our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, or, or even, here it comes, whether it's our enemies. It is an interesting thought for you. We'd be daft, I think, to trust our enemies. But that doesn't take away in any way, shape, or form our gospel obligation to love them, to pray for them when they persecute us, to bless them when they curse us, to, to love them when they hate us. This goes to show that trust and love don't necessarily go together. Just to kind of round things up here, I just want to look for a few minutes at the master text on love, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8, really quickly, familiar verse, you probably had it at your wedding, or you will do, or your funeral, oh, or you will do, no you won't, dangerous ground alert, Jamie, dangerous ground alert, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like modern 21st century culture? No. Going to be preaching into that again, I think, next week. It does not dishonor others. So much dishonor. It is not self seeking. It's not easily angered. So much outrage. It keeps no record 
of wrongs. Well, think about cancel culture. So I'm headed next week. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. Amen. Thanks, James. Amen. Just quickly through a couple of those. Love is patient. The enemy wants you to be short and impatient with people. That's how he gets in. But love is patient. Christian love is nurturing. Christian love is tolerant. Christian love teases the best out of people rather than judging them and putting them down. Christian, Christian love gives them second chances and second chances and second chances and second chances. Number two, love is kind. So much unkindness. And you know what? Kindness, like love, should be unconditional. Love is kind. Okay? Object, you know, the, verb, the verb to be, same thing. Love is kind. Kindness, like love, should be unconditional. They should get kindness from us whether they deserve it or not. To which I'd say, what a way for us as Christ followers to stand out in this modern age of outrage and polarization and cancellation. Number three, love does not dishonor others. You know, dishonor has become the cultural norm, usually with ridicule and disdain attached. Pretty sure the conduct in our own House of Parliament doesn't help. But the Bible teaches repeatedly that parents should be honoured. It teaches that our national leaders should be honoured. Paul taught that elders in the church are worthy of double honour. 1 Corinthians 12 says, says that the parts of the body that, that the world regards as less honourable should be treated with special honour. I'd say this, honour is not something you should seek, but it's definitely something you should give and you'll be blessed as you do. For nearly there, love is not self-seeking. The, the English Standard Version says, love does not insist on its own way. You know, the quality of your love is probably best demonstrated when you don't get your own way. Anyone can be lovely when they do. So I'm pretty sure we have an obligation to insist on God's way. But we should hold, hold our own way much more lightly. Number five, love keeps no record of wrongs. This is a big statement. If you are storing up a list of offences... You have stepped out of love and into danger. If you are holding someone to account for offences rendered, you are standing in a position of unforgiveness. Love forgives. Love forgives often and always. Love forgives deserved or undeserved. Love forgives continually and comprehensively. 
If you're not sure how, or you're not sure when, or you're not sure why to do that, reflect on Jesus hanging on the cross. In fact, reflect on Jesus full stop. Okay, let's, let's wrap this up. If the question is, who now, coming out of this debacle, who now can I trust? I'd say this, I'm very sorry if you feel that your trust has been broken or abused or if you've been let down. But remember, Jesus doesn't tell us to trust them so much as he tells us to love them. Love is always the right way. Love is always the better way. Love is always the Jesus way. We're all works in progress, but our call once again today is to embrace the Lord's call to walk in love. Okay, how do you respond to that? Three challenge questions before you. They won't come as a great surprise. Question number one, challenge number one, is there a relationship that you need to reconcile? I don't know about you, I hate it when the enemy wins. But the good news is it's not too late. Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if there is a relationship that needs to be reconciled, today will be a great day to reach out in reconciliation and restoration. Number one. Number two is, is there someone you need to forgive? You know, this has been a very difficult situation for everybody. But I'm absolutely convinced that the church should be a haven of grace. You know, forgiveness is a decision, but more than that, forgiveness is, is an attitude. And I would say for your own spiritual health, you need to forgive and you need to do it today. And the number three, this is an interesting way of putting it, I think, do you need to re-consecrate your attitude towards authority? And the picture I have in my mind, I think authority, and I'm thinking of Boris, I think it's been a bit like a dartboard. You know, it's felt like that the way to do it is just pick up your dart and just lob them. Do you need to re-consecrate your attitude towards authority? What would the Lord say about your attitude to authority? Or, or to the people specifically placed in authority over you? Or, or what you've posted on social media through the lockdown? Does that attitude need re-consecrating? Okay, that would be a great thing to take to the Lord. 